Welcome to episode 32 of the Chewy On Your Boot podcast and we've got another guest for you today. We're churning them out. We've got a radio presenter who works at 1116 SEN, which is a sports radio station in Melbourne. We'll ask him a few questions about his job and then we'll chat a bit about sports. So looking forward to this one. John Donahoe joins the show. John, welcome to the Chew On Your Boot podcast. Thanks for joining us. Betty, Riley, thanks for having me, boys. Good to have you. It's a pleasure. So we'll go go with a few questions to start off. Um, just tell us a bit about yourself and what are your earliest memories of a passion for sport? Uh, yeah, I, I remember being at Waverley. I can't remember the year, um, but I think the first ever footy memory I had was being at Waverley with my dad and my brother. And I think it was... A, I think it was a St Kilda game. It might have been, or it was a Sydney game because my brother goes for the Swans. And I just remember going and getting jam donuts with dad and sort of being so excited and running down the stairs at Waverley and tripping and falling <laughs> down and, and sort of dropping all of them and just being in tears and, and all that and then um, eating the donuts. But that's my earliest memory of footy. And just I think from there, um, I've basically just loved sport ever since. I was never really into much else. Um, you know, coming over, just doing Auskick and Milo cricket. I always just loved playing sport as a young young bloke. So uh, it just sort of... My parents are Irish as well, so I never really grew up. They weren't able to, like, teach me AFL or anything like that. So I was I just got a love for it when I, uh, when I was about four or five and haven't looked back since. Yeah, very good. And when did you decide that entering the sports media industry was something that you wanted to do? Did you find it at uni or before that? No... Basically, when you know, I think it was probably year 10 or 11 and the teachers were saying, you know, you've got to start working out what you want to do after school. And I was thinking, you know, I was, I was okay at English and writing and all of that sort of stuff. And I was thinking, well, science is out because I'm no good at that. Maths, I can't add to save myself. Um, you know, geography, I was okay at. But, you know, looking at contour lines, I, I just it just made no sense to me whatsoever. And, you know, you narrow it down I thought, I'm not going to be an AFL footballer. I'm not going to be a cricketer. What can I do? You know, I thought, all right, I'll try and start writing. And, and, you know, my writing was okay at the time. But it was sort of, I think it was probably year 10 or 11, I sort of started thinking, all right, well, I really want to get into this space. And, um, you know, you start taking a little bit more interest in watching the footy shows that were on uh, online and listening to radio and seeing how they do it. And sort of you work towards getting into that, that aspect of it, uh, from that point, I guess. Yep. Yeah. So what did you study at uni? Yeah, journalism. So, um, you know, I, I didn't do, I didn't do all that well at school. I mean, it was, as far as I was concerned, it was, and, and you look back now and you go, well, it was just a number what I got, you know, um, I got something like 50 or 55 in VCE and I was like, well, what, what do I do now? And, you know, I, I found a back way into journalism by doing a diploma of, of journalism at Swinburne. Um, and then was able to just go from there, do that for one one year, and then straight into the Hawthorne campus and doing a, a Bachelor of Arts Journalism. So, you know, for me, it was it was a bit of a roundabout way. It meant an extra year or so of uni, but, um, I, you know, at the end of the day, they, they tell you at school that, you know, it's vitally important to get these scores. But I think if you work hard enough, which I, I felt I did, I still um, probably could have worked a little bit harder, but I still... Um, worked hard to be able to get from that diploma of journal, journalism into the, the real thing and, uh, and, and just away from, worked, uh, worked out well from there. Yep. And your show on SEN, The Overnight Crowd, um, give us or give our listeners a bit of a 
insight into that? What does it entail and why do you love it? Well, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a, it's just a bit of everything. I mean, there's no real structure to the show, which I was really keen on, on doing because, you know, we, we've got, we've got a, apart from you two, I mean, we've got an older sort of audience who, you know, they can't sleep, they're up late and, and they want to have their say and all that. So, you know, most other shows are, are heavily, you know, structured. They'll have this in the first hour, this in the second hour. I generally will just start to try and, you know, throw things around. And I could, in an ad break, look at what audio I've got and what stories I have in front of me and think, okay, well, maybe I'll run with this instead and see how popular it is. If it's not good, then we'll go back to something else. It, it, I just like to let it flow, let the listeners have their say, you know, there'll be plenty of listeners that come and have a crack at me. And I love that as well. I read those out on air um, and I take all the calls as well. It's, it's one of those things I, I wanted to always try and make sure I wasn't just, you know, a robot on air. I want to be one of the, you know, I always say one of the boys. I just want to, you know, want you guys to be able to relate to me as a good bloke who likes his sport, you know, loves to entertain people and not just a, a robot who's there to try and get the first story and all of that. Yeah. Well, you definitely get that feel listening to you. And you mentioned those listeners. Like, do you have loyal listeners? And despite not knowing them in person, do you feel you have, like, a connection with them? Yeah, you do. I mean, there's, there's probably, I'm just trying to think, there's probably six or seven loyal listeners. And, the, you know, we, we got nicknames for each other. Yeah. The thing is, I've never met them. I don't even know what they look like. It's funny. There's, you know, there's one guy, Big Al, who's a really funny dude. He calls up every night and we have a great laugh and he has a crack at me. I have a crack at him. And, and it's really, it's a really good rapport. It's like we're close mates, but I've got no idea what he looks like. And I always think about that. It's, it's funny. You, you talk to these people and you sort of build up a rapport with them so much and you go, I, I don't know who you are, I don't know what you look like, but yeah. you sound great. And, you know, I've got a, I've got a guy who calls up from America as well, Chris, who, you know, he and I correspond on Twitter a lot. Uh, so I, I sort of, I've seen Chris's photo and all that, and he's a great bloke. But, yeah, you, you get the regulars who call up and you go, geez, I, I'd love to just, you know, sit down and say hello to them and, and see them face to face. Yeah. Um, how do you cope with the hours? You're on well into the morning. And then, yeah. and then back into it five nights a week, if I'm right. Yeah, yeah it's, it is tough. It is tough. But um, when you're a young bloke like myself and you want to make it and, and try and have a, have a crack in this industry, you've got to do these, what some would consider these crap hours, these crap jobs and try and build your way up that way. It's, you know, it's not glamorous at the moment, but it's just the way it's got to be. And um, look, I think I've... I think I've almost, I say I've almost mastered it. You know, you, you come home at um, 4.30 in the morning or 6.30 on a weekend and you get a couple hours sleep. I'll probably sleep on a, on a, weeknight, on a weeknight from about 4.30 to 11. Um, and then you just go about your day and sort of, you know, I'll have lunch and hang out at home and try and get a little bit of exercise in. Um, and, you know, in cricket season, I would go to cricket training and make sure that that was a constant of, of my, my week as a bit of exercise. Yeah. And, you know, I, I try not to need a nap sort of during the day and, and get through right through until 4.30 or 6.30. So the only day I really have a nap is after, you know, is tomorrow, is a Wednesday afternoon just to try and get myself back into the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned your cricket. You're obviously quite a keen sportsman yourself. What sports do you play? And do you think your job affects being able to play them at all? 
uh, from time to time, and and look, that's something um, I think you know. From I guess from here on, it's it's going to have to take precedence. The job um, there has been, you know, in the past, it probably has been too much of the the social sport first for me. But I think you know, if I want to make it and have a have a proper crack in this and and take it to the next step, I'm going to have to. Um, start prioritising work and, you know, you know that cricket and footy will always be there. So um, I love my cricket. I'm probably better at cricket than I am at footy and, and I just love talking cricket, love playing cricket, just the feeling of being out there. Sort of, it's almost, it's, it is essentially one-on-one with, you know, bat v ball and, and just how, you know, bowlers go about trying to get you out and then how batsmen try and, you know, keep you out and all that. It just, it fascinates me. I love it. I love the banter that goes along with it. And then with footy as well. I mean, I just play a lower grade um, in the VAFA and love it. Love it. It's just purely, you know, for mateship and camaraderie and all that. So, um, you know, I've had a good few years. I've won a couple of premierships, which was the, the hope. And, um, you know, if I, if I do need to pack it in, at least I know I've, I've got them forever. Yeah, definitely. Sounds very similar to us. Um, <laughs> given... What we do do here is similar to hosting a radio show, obviously not for as long, but what advice can you give us and any other podcasters out there? Well, similar to what I said before, just be willing to do the crap jobs, be willing to do overnights, be willing to, you know, go in and, and I guess not get paid even for the first little bit, just nag people and say, can I sit in and watch and take notes and show interest? And I, I guess... You know, also, this, this sort of stuff's really good. And, you know, I, I started out by doing um, stuff on Sin and um, Channel 31 sort of TV and, you know, did a whole heap of radio shows on, I think it was Joy, and then it was, um, yeah, I think back to Sin and, and for a little bit there. And, you know, I did a, had a stint on ABC and all that. So you, you do as much of this as you can. And, you know, I don't know if you're keen on commentary stuff, but call, you know, I called Old Zavs games for three years. I called Baffer games for three years. and have those tapes you know it's just the more you can do i found the the better because the more that you can hand off to a future employer um it makes it really easy because you got to remember that you know both of you are, are two guys who are probably in a massive pond of three four five six hundred people across the country or more who are trying to get into this small industry and i thought for a long time i wasn't going to I wasn't going to crack it. I mean, I had jobs, you know, I had, I was at 3AW for a while there as well. And it wasn't, they weren't giving me the, the stuff that I was hoping for. So you just got to stick at it. You'll, one thing I need, I want you guys and everyone to know is you're going to get knocked around. You're going to get, um, you're going to feel like you don't matter. You'll feel like you're a small, small fish in a very, very big pond, but you just got to keep at it and sort of, you know, stay confident and, and go about it the way you want to go about it. Don't just, follow someone else who's you know you think's doing it the right way yeah definitely and you mentioned having to do those not as sought after jobs first but what are your plans for the future and what level do you aspire to get to well yeah always always trying to go a bit higher um you know the the ultimate goal for me would be to be calling footy on a saturday and, and cricket in the summer and all that and um you know the, there's before before corona hit you know there was plans in place for me to to potentially start, you know, doing boundary stuff on SEN. And obviously that's changed now. And I had to go back from what I was doing just the five to six hour, five to six AM um, bit, the tradies hour. And then, you know, I would have free weekends to be able to do um, commentary and, and boundary stuff. So that's the ultimate goal, just to be able to call footy. And, um, you know, if, if I have a 
if I have a daily radio show or a you know spot on the radio here and there um, with with regular shows, it'd be great. But you know, just got to keep uh, keep progressing and keep you know keep the path that I'm hoping for. And as I said, yeah, it's commentary probably for me is my my one and true my one and only true love. But I, I do love doing uh, what I'm doing. And six hours a day of speaking to people is. Um, it can get a bit tedious. I, I hate hearing the sound of my own voice, but um, I love it at the same time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's good fun. Yeah, definitely. Yep. We'll get into a bit of sports chat. It'd be silly not to, given you do it as a job. Um, there's there's a bit out there with the AFL, plenty of announcements in the last couple of days. Um, how do you sort of see the season playing out, I guess? Yeah, uh, it's exciting that we are sort of getting back into it. I mean just for me as well and, and for I guess everyone on SEN it, it's been it's been tough I guess speculating and you know trying to come up with stuff that's that's um, going to take the place of footy when footy should be on so that is positive whether it's the 11th whether it's the 18th of June I, I, I don't I don't have an answer for you to be honest but it is positive that look we're about a month away from getting things back up and running I think everyone needs a bit of footy at the moment um, you know just with the way that the world's going and I think it'd be positive if we can get back. I just, I was really worried during the week that the whole Adelaide thing was going to, was going to cause a stop to the government's plans and, and cause everyone to really just go back into their shell and we we're going to have another delay. But it seems like we're on the right track now and we're going to get footy back within the next month or so, which is really good. Yep. And you're a Saints supporter yourself. How do you see them they obviously, unfortunately, lost round one. But how do you see them going this season? They had a big off season with some recruits, but yeah. One one thing I always say to people, you know, when they ask me how the Saints are going to go, you've always got to temper expectations. Um, the great thing that I think I've been able to do is, you know, go into a game, all right, thinking we're going to lose. All right, I go into games thinking, all right, no, nah, we're going to get beaten here. And then it's a bonus when you do, you know, go and, yeah. and win a game. You know, it's very rare. I might go into a Gold Coast game thinking, all right, we got them here. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll beat them. Um, I, I've been, look, I've been a passionate Saints fan since I'm five or six years old. It's hard. You guys will hear it. It's hard for me not to sometimes talk about St Kilda on, on the air and people sort of pull me up on it. And that's the way it should be as well. You know, I've got to try and be impartial. But in the back of my mind as well, that love and that, that, passion and joy that they bring me from time to time um, and the frustration that comes out when I when I watch them because uh, I, I will literally uh, get so angry at, at <laughs> times with, with what they uh, with what they do but I wouldn't trade them in for anything um, you know a lot of people will have a crack at you when you know you say oh they've only got one premiership but for me when whenever that does come if it does come you know, when I'm 30, when I'm 40, it's just going to make it even sweeter. And, you know, the fact that I never saw the first one, look, whenever it comes, it'll be great. We, we, they were so close a couple of years ago. Um, probably should have been, I always say to people, probably should have been back-to-back premiers, but you can't dwell on the past and um, they didn't get it done at the right time. But, yeah, look, that, they mean a lot to me and um, I'm hoping that in the future I can see a bit more success. But they have, they've recruited really well and I've liked their mentality over the last sort of six to eight months. I mean, they filled some needs and, and fingers crossed that it's onwards and upwards from here. Yeah, we've got some passionate Saints fans that are friends of the show, so we'll be very happy to hear your thoughts. And you, you mentioned the Crows incident. What were your thoughts on the, um, the suspensions and what was handed down to them? I thought, 
I must say, I thought it was a little bit soft. I mean, I was on air during the week the whole time and people were asking me what what should happen. And I maintained the whole way through that it should be a one-game ban. Now, essentially, essentially it was, but this whole suspended sentence thing is just garbage in my mind. I mean, if the AFL was serious about this, and, and look, people make mistakes, we understand that, but if the AFL was serious about, you know, what was going on there, they would have come down harder on them. Now, I, I can understand no fine because of the situation that we're in. Footy clubs are having to slash, um, you know, they're losing money all over the place. So I can understand why they didn't give them a fine, but I was expecting, and I got a little bit of negative feedback towards that throughout the week, but I was always strong in the opinion. When other people were saying draft picks, other people were saying, um, you know, massive fine or four points. I maintained that a one-game ban was the right thing to do. And people would say, well, that's going to disadvantage Adelaide. Oh, well, they did the wrong thing. They, at the end of the day, they did the wrong thing. Regardless of whether they meant to or not, they did the wrong thing. And I thought they needed to suffer the consequences of that. And whether that be losing 16 blokes for one week, I thought that was a fair enough punishment that would have fit the crime. But yeah. it seems the AFL have gone a different way. And look, a suspended sentence, I don't think was strong enough. But at the end of the day, um, look, I think Ben Hart probably took the brunt of, of the the blame for it and he got to six week ban. So um, it is what it is, but anyway, we'll, uh, we'll yeah, see what, what comes out of it. I think a lot of footy clubs are not happy about it either. Yeah. Well, definitely interesting one. A lot of those, quite a few of those players were out actually outside the best 22 anyway. So, mm. well, I think, I think the likes of Tom Duday should have probably known better. I mean, he's obviously coming off a knee injury. Kyle Hardigan's played 120 odd games for, for Adelaide as well. And, I think Lockie Murphy was another one who who was there as well, who's played, I think, only a handful of games, but has been on the list for a while. So, you know, I can understand guys like Fisher Mackesy, you know, top 10 draft pick. He's, look, he's going to be the next big thing. And, and look, he made a mistake as, as well. I mean, you look at a lot of those names on that list. A lot of them are young blokes who may, many people may never have heard of. So you can understand from that point of view, they made a mistake. But I think the leaders in that group, like, you know, like Tom Duday, who's just been put into the leadership group at Adelaide, they should have been a bit stronger. And Ben Hart as well, I think, probably should have been a bit stronger. To be honest, I don't think he, he deserved a six-week suspension, but I think he should have been a little bit stronger on what uh, what took place. Definitely. Um, the Cricket Australia contracts came out a couple of weeks ago. What did you think of those? Who was perhaps stiff to miss out or lucky to get one? I thought, look, I thought the list was was pretty strong. I thought Pete, I, I, there's something about Peter Hanscom I've always loved, and I, I just think that he probably he got he got a good run in that India series. And, and look, I think if if he just gets his technique right, he, he could be back in the Australian side in, in no time. I think he's a very good one day cricketer. Whether he's whether our Test side is is going to change much, I'm not sure. Um, I think it was when Kawaja he said he was still in the best uh, best five batsmen in the country. I, I can't buy that for a second. I mean, you look at that top five and how it is at the moment, Burns and Warner, for me, the two, the right blokes to be opening the innings, regardless of Burns and his series against New Zealand, he's, he's a quality batsman. And I don't think Usman Kawaja should be opening the batting. You've got Marnus and Steve Smith at three and four. Travis Head's just coming in, coming back into a bit of form. I think he averages 48 and he's just made a couple of tons as well. And Matthew Wade has made two two Ashes centuries as well. So you look at that, that's six blokes at the top of the order that 
I don't think Usman Khawaja is ahead of. And then you've obviously got Tim Payne and the bowlers. So where's he, where's he supposed to fit into that side? I think it was a little bit of a short-sighted comment by him that he's still in the best five batsmen in the country. But it is probably a good confidence thing for him to work on that and get back into that side in some way. And I also thought Marcus Stoinis was a bit stiff. I mean, yeah. you know, we saw, we saw his big bash. I've always been a, Mar- a Marcus Stoinis fan. We saw his big bash performance performances, um, whether, whether they just think he is a short-form player, I, I don't know. But his, look, his World Cup was horrible. That's probably what they've judged him on. He's probably not a test player for Australia. Just with what they've got coming through, they seem to love Mitch Marsh for some unknown reason. Um, so, look, I think the, the contracts were probably right. Marcus Harris hasn't had, a, hasn't had a whole lot of luck lately. So, they probably made the right calls. And obviously, Marnus getting one was a no-brainer. So, yeah. um, I, think, yep. I think, look, you can, you can say blokes were stiff all we want, but I think they probably made the right call with, with the strength of Australian cricket at the moment. Yep, yep. And so, obviously, Indian series coming up, depending on um, what happens, but... Do you, do you see that series going ahead? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I'm really excited. And, and I wouldn't be surprised, you know, there's a bit of talk around it was due to be a four-test series. And we know that Afghanistan was supposed to be out here to play a one-off test against Australia as well at the Wacker. I, I reckon that's going to get sacked and, you know, don't even bother coming. And, and that's, no, that's no, nothing against Afghanistan and all that. And that's, that'll happen at some point in the future. But Cricket Australia needs more money now than ever. And this is a $300 million tour. India came out the other day and have said basically that they are going to come. They're willing to self-isolate for two weeks, whether it be, you know, the only disappointing thing is that we may not get a Boxing Day test. It'll probably be, you know, two, or two tests in Adelaide, two in, uh, two in Perth, and I don't know whether they do another one somewhere else. But it looks like Adelaide and Perth are the two most likely venues. But if this was a West Indies series, if this was a... a Another series like Pakistan or something, I would hazard a guess that Cricket Australia wouldn't be as keen. But this is a massive test. And you've got to remember that last time India were here, there was no Steve Smith and no David Warner. We took one test off them and they won their first series on home soil, on, on Australian soil. You add those two back in and, you know, you add Matthew Wade into the, into the fold as well. It's a stronger Australian lineup, and, and this is going to be a series that, will rival the Ashes in my mind. And it's the two best teams in the world. I'm, I'm so excited to see this series and, and it go ahead. And I really hope it's a five-test series instead of a four-test series. Yeah, definitely. But what do those, if, say, they get rid of the Afghanistan test, what ramifications does that have on the inaugural test championship? I don't think... I think if you're adding a fifth test to the summer anyway, so you'd still be playing... You know, that was essentially going to be the first and then there was going to be four tests. So they're adding a test match against India anyway. I think it won't have any... I don't think it'll have any ramifications, to be honest with you, because you get... uh, I think you get more points if you play five test matches than you do if you play one. So it's tiered that way that the more test matches you play, it increases in difficulty and you get more points that way. So that that Australia-India... Australia-England Ashes series... I think it was 120 points per win, essentially, for for each team. So I think you get... I, I don't have the numbers off by heart, and it is the most complicated system ever, the yeah. world championship, but you get less points for... You know, if you play a three-test series, you get less points to start with. So uh, I think, no, the, the five-test series will will make it even more valuable, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. 
just one last one. The Last Dance, Michael Jordan's documentary, has been playing on Netflix for the last month or so. Um, have you been watching it and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's um, it's permanent Monday night um, booking at the moment. I'm, I'm, you know, and obviously Monday's a day off, so I'm able to settle in, have a beer or two while watching it, and it's it's great. It's it's so enlightening and, and exciting to watch and to see Michael Jordan in tears last night on one of the episodes uh, the other night on one of the episodes as well was well I guess it was something that we never really thought I mean you know a lot of people called him a, a tyrant he was a bully he was a hard teammate to deal with and I think he took that to heart but at the end of the day he wanted people to recognize that this was what we had to do to be great and you know it, it it's it's the best documentary I've seen, sporting documentary I've seen. It's you know I, I rated the test as well as a really strong um, sporting documentary, but this is on a whole different scale. I mean, the fact that Dennis Rodman could just up and go to Vegas for three, four, five days in the middle of a season. Could you imagine if Dane Swan did something like that? If he just wanted to fly across the country or leave for a week in the middle of the season? I mean, it just wouldn't happen. But it. it it gives us a great insight into how the greatest, and I will maintain to the day I die, that he's the greatest basketball player of all time. I know a lot of American commentators will say LeBron is, but I think having watched this, it just it just ups my opinion of Michael Jordan to say he's the greatest and, and how he worked hard and you know everything he went through with his dad and everyone was trying to set him up to fail as well. He's just a resilient bloke and, and I've loved every minute of it. Um, I can't believe it's about to end final two episodes next week, but I'll probably watch it back a couple of times, I reckon, in its entirety when uh, when it's all over. Yeah, it's very good. Yep. Well, that's about all we've got for you, John. It's been great to have you on. Um, yeah, good luck with the future and we hope to see plenty of you. Thanks, boys. I appreciate uh, appreciate the interest and uh, happy to do it anytime. And good luck for future endeavours for yourselves as well. Yep. Thank you. Thank well, you. We'll be sure to send you a few texts on the speckle text line. <laughs> good boys. Thanks, fellas. Thank you. Well, that wraps us up for episode 32 of the podcast. Once again, thanks to John for joining us. It was great to have a chat. And for our listeners, if you're interested, you can listen to John Wednesday through to Sunday nights. Just download the app or listen on 1116 on the radio. Send him a text. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear from you. And just a shout out to the special text line that we're going to set this up.